God's will to uncover idolatry and carry His people to salvation. Peace to you, friends and members. My name is Luke, and it is an honor to share God's Word, open God's Word with you this morning. But before going God's Word, I would like to introduce it with a story. So the story goes, a Christian arrived in heaven and God said to him, would you like to see where you come from? When the Christian responded that he would, God unfolded the story of his whole life and he saw footprints from cradle to the grave. Only there were not only the footprints of the Christian, but another set of footprints alongside. The Christian said, I see my footprint, but whose are those? And God says, those are my footprints. I was with you all the time. As God replay his life, they came to a dark, discouraging valley, and the Christian said, I see only one set of footprints through the valley. I remember being so discouraged. You were not there with me. It was just as I thought. I was all alone. I had to get through the valley all by myself. Do any of you feel this way? Or maybe have felt this way? being all alone in that difficult place. You think that my friends can't understand or I cannot turn to another coworker for help. My parents don't get me. Even at church, maybe I just feel so distant, distant from others, distant from God. Where is God when I need him the most? Where is the help? the present that God has promised. Or maybe you're not quite convinced of the Christian God yet. You still go to temples and pray to other gods for success and for fortune during those valleys. Or maybe you believe that at the end of the day, we only have ourselves to depend on. If we want to get out of that valley, we got to tighten those bootstraps, start hiking. We can only do it ourselves. Well, the Bible tells us that placing anything as more important than God is idolatry. I want to propose today that when we do not acknowledge God's presence in our lives, or to acknowledge his place in our life, we're guilty of idolatry. That when we do not acknowledge God's presence or place in our life, we are guilty of idolatry. So we're back in the book of Isaiah today in 
chapter 46 to 47. If you have your Bible, you can start to turn there to Isaiah chapter 46. They also printed in the bulletin for us, so you can try to flip there. Last time when I preached, uh, which was quite a while ago, before the summer, we read in chapter 45 that God gave the Israelites through Isaiah a very specific prophetic message. God named by name King Cyrus, the Persian king, who will defeat the Babylonian and allow the Israelites to be free from the Babylonian exile. This message was spoken some 200 years before it was fulfilled. And I think we need to appreciate how God tells the Israelites in advance what will happen to show that he is God. But I think we also need to appreciate how God is still speaking to each of us now through the scripture. And we have this history to prove its fulfillment. The message of the book I say is that God will bring judgment, but God also promised salvation to his people. This message was applicable to the Israelites and still applicable to us today. Now, one big difference for us is that history has revealed that Jesus is the way that God will bring about salvation for his people. Well, today's chapter continues in the prophetic message of God delivered to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah. It speaks of the helplessness of idols and the downfall of Babylon as a great power. It is spoken before Babylon even became a regional power to show that God is sovereign in his will and in his purpose, and that God is indeed God. Let me read for us Isaiah chapter 46 and 47, so please follow along in your copy of the Bible or in the bulletin. Starting chapter 46. Baal bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burden on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hair, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? To who lavish those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god? Then they fall down and worship? They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, your transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient time things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird a prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Chapter 47. 
Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughters of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind flour. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your leg, path through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people, I profaned my heritage, I gave them into your hand, you showed them no mercy. On the age you made your yoke exceedingly heavy, you said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit security, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as widow or know the loss of children. Though these two things shall come to you in a moment, the one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorcery and the great power of your enchantment. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon, your, upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantment and your many sorcery, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are weary with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those who whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about, each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. So what are something that stood out to you as we read those two chapters? But one question that came to my mind is why? You know, why is God doing this? Why does God allow his people to be taken into exile, but telling them in, in advance that they will be saved? Why does God point out the downfall of this other nation that does not worship him? Well, if you are waiting for the main point, this is what I believe the main point of our chapter today is. The main point is, it is God's will to uncover idolatry and carry his people to salvation. It is God's will to uncover idolatry and carry his people to salvation. God, through the prophet Isaiah, is saying it is his will to uncover human idolatry and carry the people of God to salvation instead of destruction. As I mentioned before, when we don't recognize God's presence or place in our lives, we are guilty of idolatry. It is God's will to uncover and remove these idols and to save 
his people. I believe these chapters uncover two forms of idolatry and show us who is the true God that we should worship. I believe these chapters uncover two forms of idolatry and show us who is the true God that we should worship. So we have three sections. The two forms of idolatry uncovered are the first two sections. Number one, the first form of idolatry is others worship, others worship. And the second form of idolatry uncovered is self-worship, self-worship. And then our, finally, our last section will be on the true God, the true God. So the first form of the idolatry we'll see is others' worship or worshiping other gods. So look back to chapters 46, verse 1. Baal and Nebel are idols of the Babylonians. Now these are man-made idols. Verse 6 mentioned that they are probably made from silver and gold. And God simply said it is foolish. It is foolish to worship God made by goldsmiths. Is it foolish in at least four ways according to our passage? First, verse 1 and 2 says, they are like the burden that beasts carry. You know, just, just another load, another luggage that will weary beasts and livestock. That at least, you know, cows and donkeys, they can help carry things. You know, these idols are burdens instead of being able to relieve burdens. Mm-hmm. It is foolish to worship idol that burden. And second, the end of verse 2 says, they themselves go into captivity. Now that, that these idols are captives by the circumstances around them. And verse 7 says, they cannot move from their place. They were fashioned by man and they just stand there. It is foolish to worship idol that cannot move and that are stuck to their surroundings. Third, they do not answer. Now, not only that they cannot move, the middle of verse 7 says, they can't even answer when spoken to. They cannot tell you the future. They cannot tell you what their will or their purpose is. When you cry for help, it does not answer. It is foolish to worship idols that cannot speak. Lastly, verse 2 says, they cannot save the burden. And it's another way to say, they cannot relieve any burden. Or as verse 7 says, these idols cannot save people from their trouble. And what good is worshiping a God that is so helpless? It is just foolish to worship idols. Well, we must think a little bit for us these days. And what is this form of idolatry or of worshiping other gods for us? It certainly could be physical idols. You know, we have seen people going to temples here, paying money to seek favors. We have seen people with bracelets and other items are supposed to bring peace or act as a lucky charm or to protect or to keep disaster away. It is foolish to believe these created things have any power to do any of those things. No, but there are also other things that we worship that are not God, but take the place of God in deciding, in dictating, or driving, or, or directing our 
decisions and directing what we should do. And I think those are also idols. For example, the other gods we worship could be other people that we idolize and place above God. It could be a boss. It could be a relationship. It could be a leader or a celebrity or even a child or a parent. When we allow these other people to influence our lives, to influence our decision more than allowing God to influence our decisions, we may be guilty of this form of idolatry, of worshiping the idol of other gods. Let me repeat that. When we allow these other people to influence our decision more than allowing God to influence our decision, we may be guilty of this form of idolatry. Or these other gods could be other things. You know, not people, but other things. Could be a house, a car, a favorite hobby, video game or sports, or maybe even reading or music. It could be retirement or education or maybe even a job. Again, when we allow these other things to influence our decision more than allowing God to influence our decision, we may be guilty of this form of idolatry, worshiping another God. These other idols have taken God's place or caused us to be unaware of God's presence. We are essentially worshiping these other idols because we let them control our lives. We're essentially worshiping these other idols because we let them control our lives. The second form of idolatry is self-worship. The second form of idolatry is uncovered in chapter 47. So if you look to chapter 47, verse 10, it says, the Babylonians are judged for their wickedness. And back in verse 6, it says, they are also judged for their failure to show mercy. Not only, that, not only that, but they are judged for self-worship as well. Look at verse 8 and verse 10. It says, They say in their hearts, I am, and there is no one besides me. Because of God's judgment, they will no longer be master over other nations, living what verse 1 calls the tender and delicate life. And instead of having other nations to to work for them. You know, verse 2 there says, they will now have to take off their fine robes and work. They would need to work the millstone and grind flour for their own food. Now when we think of self-worship, you know, we might think of you know, uh, like a narcissist. But maybe for many of us, a less extreme form of self-worship is what we think of our appearance. Maybe are we too fat, too skinny, too short, too tall, maybe too dark or too white, or, or, or quote-unquote how perfect are our different body parts, or how does what we wear make us look, etc., etc. If we let what we think of ourselves matter more than what God says or how he has made us, we might be guilty of self-worship. God says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. 
So that need to matter more. Let me repeat again. If we let what we think of ourselves matter more than what God says or how he has made us, we might be guilty of self-worship. But more often, I think self-worship could be hard to spot because it can be disguised, can be disguised. It is disguised in ways we don't think of as self-worship. You know, I believe it is disguised in at least three ways according to our passage in chapter 47. First, it is disguised as pleasures, disguised as pleasures. God confronts Babylonian verse says, as lover of pleasures. It says, in the heart of these of this lover of pleasure is actually the belief that there is no one besides me. It is saying, I'm God. It is self-worship. When we place pleasures above God, it is actually putting our own comfort or fun or desire above God. It is selfishness. And it's an idol. Here I can think of two types, you know, two types of pleasures that can be disguised as self-worship. The first type you know, that I can think of is godly pleasures that are overindulged. You know, godly pleasures that are overindulged. So I'm thinking of you know, good things like food, exercise, you know, good entertainment, you know, videos, music, movies, games, you know, where the content is pleasing to God. But we overindulge, we, we use them as an excuse to avoid other things. Well, we become addicted to them because they comfort us and make us feel good. Now, these godly pleasure in the end is, is, is placed above God, so they become an idol of self-worship. So another type, another type of pleasure, I believe, is sinful pleasures. Now again, this is maybe more obvious, is self-worship because we are disobedient to God, even though these things give us pleasures temporarily, you know, we know that ultimately they are sinning against God. The Apostle Paul has similar concerns for the Corinthian church in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 20-21. So he says this, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not, repent, have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So I think we must ask ourselves, you know, are there sinful pleasures that come from impurity, that comes from sexual immorality, from sensuality that we need to repent of? Are there things that we indulge ourselves with? Either what we look at, what we listen to, relationship that we need to be bring before the Lord and repent of? Are there sinful pleasures from, from maybe quarreling, stirring up jealousy, from anger, from hostility, from speaking slander, spreading gossip, conceit, and stirring up disorder? that somehow causes us to feel excited, nice inside, that we need to be 
repentant of. If we allow sin to control our life, it is definitely an idol. The second way that self-worship is disguised, I believe it is disguised as independence. Independence. Being independent says, I will rely on my own resources. So if you look at verse 9, it says the Babylonians relies on their many sorceries and great powers of enchantment. They are relying on their own power and strength. This is self-worship that is disguised as independence. And when we place independence above God, it is saying, God, I don't need you. I can take care of myself. I believe this is an idol that perhaps many of us can identify with. Many of us, we don't think of praying to God unless we have exhausted all of our own resources, right? Like, why, why is that? It's probably because God hasn't been placed in his proper place in our lives, or his presence is not properly acknowledged by us. So independence can be disguised, can be a disguise for self-worship. Lastly, I think our passage of self-worship can be disguised as wisdom and knowledge. Can be disguised as wisdom and knowledge. Verse 10 says, Your wisdom and your knowledge lead you astray. Do you know our own wisdom and knowledge is incomplete if we don't view our wisdom and knowledge in light of God? In other words, if we don't hold our wisdom and knowledge up to the standard of God and His Word, we can be led astray. Furthermore, when we place our own wisdom and knowledge above God, it is saying we know everything, and it is self-worship. I think one area in our days where our own wisdom and knowledge can lead us astray is the issue of gender identity. The wisdom and knowledge of our day says we can choose our gender identity. But what does God say? We read in Genesis, Genesis says, male and female, God created them. God created men and women equal in value, both in his own image, but different in physical makeup and roles. In the relationship of man and woman, God told us his design of marriage is an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman, and that the man is held accountable to God for the marriage and women is to help the man in that marriage. Also that sex is only to be enjoyed in the context of that definition of marriage. That has also given some guidelines for the role of men and women in the church. But beyond those, the definition of masculinity and femininity that we know of are mostly defined by the culture. I believe it's not necessarily defined biblically. The definition of masculinity and femininity that we know of are mostly defined by the culture. How men and women behave in the culture and what kind of clothes you know, they should wear, it differs culture by culture and even changes over time. You know, should we say we don't 
identify with the gender that we we're born or created with just because it doesn't match the culture definition of that gender. You know, a, a definition that changes between culture and that changes over time. That doesn't quite make sense. Now, instead of changing our gender identity as the solution, you know, maybe we can broaden the cultural definition of a gender. You know, God didn't say that a man can't be empathetic and emotional and comforting, or even a man can enjoy a spa or wanting to take care of his skin. Why can't a woman be independent and logical and tough, or maybe enjoy sports and, and, and like driving a fast car? But why? But why reject the gender God has given you? Now, this is essentially rejecting God. Now, the point is, trusting our own wisdom and knowledge apart from God can be the idol of self-worship. Now, I will acknowledge the struggle of gender identity in our days are real. The hate that is experienced from those that do not conform to the cultural definition of a gender are real. But God is also real. So let's not disregard or reject God in these conversations and in these struggles. Let's make sure we include God. So self is an idol when it is taken God's place or not acknowledge God's presence. The self-worship can disguise itself in many ways, but in the end, verse 14 there says, they cannot deliver themselves. You are truly alone, and verse 15 says, there is no one to save you because you cannot save yourself. As we continue, we must return to the question, why does God allow his people to be taken into exile by telling them in advance that they will be saved? Why does God point out the downfall of this other nation that does not worship him? This brings us to our last section, the true God. It is God's will to uncover idolatry and carry his people to salvation by the worship of the one true God. The reason is for the worship of the true God or to cause the worship of the true God. So if idolatry leads to disasters, how is worshiping the true God different? Well, from our passage today, again, it is different in at least four different way, four ways. The first way it is different is because the true God will carry us. The true God will carry. In chapter, 46 verse, uh, chapter 46, verse 4, God says, You who have been born by me from before your birth, carry from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. So in contrast to idols that need to be carried, God says he will carry his people. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 29 to 31, God said to the Israelites, Do not be in dread or afraid of your enemies. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness 
where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Now I've heard a preacher say that if your car, <clears throat> I have heard a preacher say that if your God can't carry you, then he shouldn't be your God. If your God can't carry you, then he shouldn't be your God. So how does God carry us today? Well, I think one way we know God is carrying us is by giving us perseverance. One way we know that God is carrying us is by giving us perseverance. Now, do we keep seeking God when it seems like the world is against us? Now, do we continue to confess and continue to repent of our sins? Now, in those lonely times when we, when we wrestle with our own faith and, and persist in wrestling with God, now, where does this perseverance come from? Now, if we think it comes from our own will, I think we give ourselves too much credit. The perseverance comes from the Holy Spirit, which is God residing in the believers. The perseverance is how God carries his good work to completion. The second way the true God is different from an idol is that he speaks good counsel. He speaks good counsel. In chapter 46, verse 10, it says, I am God, declaring the ends from the beginning, and from ancient time things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. God speaks. He speaks through the Bible, and he speaks through the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, we treat God like an idol that does not speak or does not answer. So we don't really listen. But God does speak. Now, recently, we have heard of many testimonies from brothers and sisters in our evening prayer service. You know, we heard many times of how God has spoken to them at different times in their lives. And if you want to be encouraged to actively listen and wait, for God's answer, then come to our, our evening service. You know, we have one even, even this, this, this afternoon. Not only do we pray together to a God that will answer, we also hear another testimony this afternoon. So don't be stubborn or hard, you know, like verse 12 says there. Instead, God says, listen to me. And one way we can listen to God is through the Holy Spirit in other believers. The third way God is different is he will accomplish his purposes. God will accomplish his purposes. The last part of verse 11 says, I have spoken and I will bring it to path. I have purpose and I will do it. And we see that Jesus acknowledged God's will and he submitted fully to God's will. Matthew 26 writes, And going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciple and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You see, God had a purpose for Jesus' suffering, and Jesus submitted fully to that will. I believe God also has purposes to our sufferings. You know, brother and sister, I believe God's will is to uncover idols in our lives and help us to remove them so we can worship Him fully to reflect the glory of God. The last way the true God is different from idol is that God will redeem and God will save. Verse 13 says, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So Zion is the hill that Jerusalem is built on. And this is just another way to say God will bring salvation through Israel. And this points squarely to Jesus, who is the righteousness that God brought near to us to die in our place for our idolatries. Listen to Romans 5, 6-10. This was also read earlier. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, we all need to know that we are destined to endure God's wrath for our idolatries. Either not acknowledging his presence or not placing him in his proper place as God in our lives. It is only through Christ's death that we are reconciled to God. And by Christ's resurrection to life, we are saved to eternal glory with God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how God redeems and how God saves this, however, does require a response from each of us to be saved. We need to believe Jesus' death and resurrection. We need to acknowledge our idolatries. We need to repent. We need to follow Jesus, who is God. If you're not yet a believer, this is how to join those that God will carry and God will save. If anyone here has more questions, I would love to talk to you more after the service today. But we should conclude. It is God's will to uncover idolatry and carry his people to salvation. Idolatry is when we don't recognize God's presence or place in our lives. It is God's will to uncover and to remove these idols. And it's only the true God who will and can save his people. 
Some of you might remember I didn't finish our story from the beginning, even though many of you probably know this illustration already. Let me finish the story for those that might not know. So let's pick up where I left off. So as God replayed the Christian's life, they came to a dark, discouraging valley, and the Christian said, I see only one set of footprints through that valley. I remember being so discouraged. You were not there with me, God. It was just as I thought. I was all alone. I had to get through the valley all by myself. Then God says, oh, but I was there. I was with you the whole time. You see, those are my footprints. I carry you all the way through that valley. Listen to me, WSBC, and believers from all nations who have been born by me from before your birth. Carry from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hair I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save, and will save, says the Lord of hosts, our Redeemer. Please pray with me. Father God, we praise you. We praise you that you will accomplish your purpose. Lord, we do confess that we still have many idols in our lives. So Father, we thank you for uncovering them so that we can be free to worship and to give you the glory that is only that only you deserve. Father, we pray that as we worship you, that you will satisfy the deep longings of our hearts, and that you will remind us that it is you who will carry those you have called. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>